This is the Educational Triage Podcast. Welcome. We invite you to come along with us on an exploration of interviews, issues, and other exciting and relevant topics in education, especially alternative education. They say alternative education is a laboratory for mainstream education. Why? Well, join us every week and listen in as Philip Summers and I, Tony Hunt, jump in feet first to discuss issues that may affect our classes, students, communities, as well as our teaching. Please subscribe if you enjoy and find relevance in what you experience here. And if you haven't left a quick review, please do. We appreciate your candor and insights so we can improve as we move forward. Now, let's see what's on board today. And welcome everybody back to Educational Triage. This is Tony and I am, of course, sitting here with the fantabulous Philip Summers. Thank you. Aloha. Good to be here. Good to have you. Anyway, so this week we're looking at how do we rate our schools? Indeed. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways to rate them. And, and I at first I was going to use a rubric and then that became a monstrosity. I was going to say, how do you describe a rubric? <laughs> it's so, I kind of said, yeah, that's not going to work. So what, wh how, how do we rate our schools, Philip? I mean, you know, what, what was your journey on this? Oh, geez. Yeah. I thought about that at first. I, I took a, 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 a too deep a think, <laughs> but I thought about it from a who, what, where, when, and why. Well, at okay. first I thought about the who, who are we rating or who are we rating it for was the, the dual headed question at first. Right. So I thought if we're rating it for um, somebody and why it got me thinking, who, who are we rating schools for? Uh, is it the parents? Is it the teachers? I thought, who, are, should we rate schools for teachers? I thought that's a novel idea <laughs> from a teacher's standpoint, but for students, Mm -hmm. um, do we rate them for the parents to know? I know that parents are very interested in that and those affect real estate values. I know that. I know that schools are rated um, like five or 10 best schools in certain states or areas. I know that. Um, so I got but what, what are the metrics that they're using for something like that? Well, they're using, I know in the, like for instance, down in the state of Oregon, they're using uh, they're using attendance. They're using proficiency as a as test. The amount of students that are passing scores, tests at, at uh, benchmark um, grades, I think. Maybe even three, but at five for sure. Eight mm -hmm. and certainly ten. How many are at benchmark? Right. And the graduation rates are the ultimate um, that uh, I think mm -hmm. parents and the general public understand. Do you agree on that one? Or are there ones? You know more about that. Do, don't you think? 
about what the graduation rates i think are the ones that primarily everybody sort of looks at and goes oh that district graduates x amount of students but well that's a it's almost a national metric i mean they look at how you know the number of graduates in a state and they say okay well this state's not doing so well as far as graduation (laughs) goes so and to be quite honest oregon has been pretty pretty I think I read something, maybe it was in the last year, Oregon's grad, Oregon's standing in the, in the 50 was, it had, it was low. It wasn't as high as we'd like it to think. No, it was, yeah. it was very low. Yeah. And, and that, that's a measure, yeah. so, and, and I believe that that is something that is connected when, to what we'll be talking about this evening, yeah. because when we do rate schools, it's, I think we need to rate them as to who are the schools for. I think that would indicate, you know, the, what we're looking at. Yeah. And I if students, right. And if students aren't going to school and if students aren't graduating, then there's something wrong in the mix. Exactly. It said something when I first started thinking of who were you rating it for, or mm-hmm. yeah, and I think that, that uh-huh. yeah. I think that's probably one of the most salient questions that you can ask is who are we rating it for? Mm-hmm. Well, obviously yeah. we're rating it for politicians, we're rating it for parents, we're mm-hmm. etc., and also for people to put a feather in their own cap, but. Right. We need to look at this. I want to look at it from an alternative standpoint. And mm-hmm. our first yeah. big measure are the students. That's what I thought too. What then? What are we measuring? Okay. And then if you if you look at that, that reveals something. You said okay, and I think you were cluing in on that, weren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We're thinking alike. What were you? Yeah. What were you thinking right away? Okay, and <laughs> <laughs> you first. I'd love to know what you think. Well, I think the first thing that I want to look at, and I think that this comes down to the foundation of everything, and that's the funding. Ah, yeah, I saw that. I saw that because you you shot me your notes before, and you had a lot about that. Do right. Tell. Okay. If we're looking at the funding, then that takes care of the basic infrastructure for what we're going to put the students into. Mm-hmm. Regardless of the students being aware and knowledgeable about funding, parents are, the community is, the staff of of the program or the school, they are very aware of it. So let's take a look at what might fall into the funding are you being adequately funded? And by adequately funded, I know that Oregon has a constitutional, what's the word? They have a constitutional liability or responsibility. They have a constitutional responsibility to fully fund their schools. An obligation. Even? It is an obligation, okay. but they don't. 
They do not. They never do. And here's why. Because they take all that money and it goes into this great big pot. And, and this is what has been explained to me by Department of Education, the Secretary for the Department of Education from the Secretary of State's. I mean, this is through a long, long list of people over the last 30 plus years. We have a huge pot of money, and that's supposed to be servicing the schools, etc. The politicians then take their ladle and they dip it in for their little projects that they want to do. That comes first. That's how the politicians work it here. How it works in other states, I don't know. But once they've finished with it, then they take a look at how much money is left over, and that's how they fund the, that's how they fund the schools. Hmm. So also, all the school districts, you would think that the school districts were all going to be funding that they would be funded equally across the school district. And by and large, they are. By and large, they are. Except when you look at the lower SES, socioeconomic system, at, at the students who fall into that category, into the most poverty-ridden schools in the state, yes. they are below. They do not come out ahead. It's, so... Yeah, it's like they um, need yeah. they need far more resources, mm-hmm. but they don't get them. And so you have the wealthier schools in a district, let's say Portland. Portland has some it, it runs the gamut. It has some that are in the higher echelon and some that are in the lower. The parents that fundraise and do things for their school some of that money has to be distributed down. It, it trickles down, but that's the problem. It trickles down. And so you know that when things trickle, they evaporate and they still don't get enough money down there. So if you take a look at the, at the funding, we should be throwing more resources where they need to be in there to help lift people up yeah. rather than people being able to float and then throwing some down and I'm not disparaging their efforts, but I think that maybe they need to do it and start their own fund if they don't already have one. It causes a I came, huge disparity. There is a huge disparity. Is and huge. so is what is the building like that you're that you're gonna go to school in as a student? If the building doesn't feel as well it's as though it's taken care of, what's the impact on you? Yeah, just What's at the, that basic level. Right. And so there's yeah. there's a level of respect that we need to have for the students and for the staff. And that needs to happen, and that has to be district, county, state, and, you know, any others. You know, I've noticed that, too, that um, that the level of funding, as, it, as it's gone down, the level of respect for the building has gone down because the level of maintenance has gone down. Mm-hmm. And just things are falling apart and things don't get fixed. And, and the kids notice that and they just say, oh, what the heck, no one cares. And so they kind of care a little bit less too. It's not right, but it's true. Well, it translates into how they also act out in the classroom a lot of times. It absolutely does. Yeah, when you fill a classroom with too many kids and too much of a workload for the teacher 
and wearing down, they feel it. And you have subpar facilities. Absolutely. That yeah. Right. Yeah, so things break and they don't get fixed. The kids start to lose morale. Exactly. So also with the funding, we're looking at do we have quality infrastructure? That means mm-hmm. the building, the spaces, transportation and staffing. That's infrastructure. You're right. That is infrastructure. Infrastructure also. We're also looking at quality resources, and we'll get into those later. Student access. Hmm. Quality teacher retention and attrition. And by quality attrition, I mean are those teachers are those teachers retiring mm-hmm. or leaving? Mm-hmm. Not due to the circumstances surrounding their work life. Is there and, a healthy transfer of institutional knowledge? I mean, do you have veteran teachers passing on wisdom and knowledge of how things are and should work or can work better to incoming teachers than to pass it on to? You know, right, and I think we way. can talk about that too. Yeah, that's a, that's a healthy institutional. And you're talking about that, the retention, healthy retention. What did you say? Healthy, it wasn't, it was retirement. Retention and attrition. You said healthy attrition. Yeah. 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 Not just, I'm out of here. I'll I'll do anything, but this job is not a healthy (laughs) attrition. (laughs) What what was your job? I'm I'm not telling you. I am not going to be here as a next attempt. (laughs) Right. That's not transferring institutional (laughs) knowledge. (laughs) So is your neglected infrastructure, is it long-term? Is it shorter term? Um, Are there portions that are just unusable? Does it put people at risk? Um, Does it create possible or probable elimination of resources for students? Because what is the purpose of that building or that structure? And that is for the education of our students. And if you're not allowing that to happen and you're saying, just deal with it, what are you saying about the students that walk through those doors? Well, that, you said that about put, does it put you at risk. And then I thought to myself, the perception of being put at risk is enough to screw up your learning process. Sure. But therefore, uh, like you said, what is the purpose of being in the, between those doors? In those doors. Uh, yeah, it's kind of failing. Mm-hmm. If, you can't, if you can't make it a safe, welcoming place, then you've kind of made it hard to learn. Right. Exactly. Me a lot. Exactly. So once we get out of the funding, because if I had children, I would not want them to go someplace that did not respect any kind of funding element that promoted a safe quality learning space for my kid. And you can come up with whatever excuses you want, but if you're not providing it, you won't provide it. That's it. You know, yeah. Mm -hmm. Do or do not. There's no try. (laughs) Right. So, okay. So let's say that we have adequate funding and um, we take a look at that and we feel comfortable. And so we say, okay, 
Well, Philip, what's the next thing on your list after that for what somebody should be looking at? Oh, so is it for grading schools? Yeah. Oh, oh geez. Well, prepared, pre- preparedness. I, I was thinking in a current system, <laughs> mm-hmm. we're talking about a diploma, but if we are really rating a school, how prepared are they leaving the school? And we had discussed that and we had actually decided that we would like schools to do a little bit more than the high schools do as far as the diploma requirements. And perhaps preparedness would be more like at least a year or possibly, probably, and preferably two uh, years worth of credit in college study to send them out there so that at least they have background in college, at least some vocational training in the front of them or college in front of them and the choice of either. Right. And the ability to be better prepared to join the workforce. Exactly. And possibly have a a better chance at a better salary or better Mm -hmm. wage. Right off the bat, while pursuing their First, in all likelihood, first career. Right. Yeah, their first pathway. You know, I mean, Lord knows where you'll end up, but at least in this way, you're going to earn a decent, decent wage pursuing the first career while you're living your life. And, doing and that also means having relevance in what's being taught. Yes, yes. You're going to want to do it. You're not just doing it to do it, but it's something you wanted to pursue. And you may not like it in five years, but you did it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I would okay. think that would be, that'd be a good way to rate a school. How prepared are they? And I would say that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Not, not just take out a diploma and really go. I think those days are kind of gone. I would agree on that. And that is because what does a test tell us? <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, they they make these. We, in in my former district, Every year they give the ACT mm-hmm. to all the students. And then if students want to take the SAT, they can do that at another point on their own. But the district pays for them to take the ACT because it tells them how well prepared their students are for going off into university. But it's a test and it gives you and and I was talking to some people on Twitter about this. It gives you a snapshot of one day, which doesn't tell you anything about what happened prior to taking the test for the student. It doesn't tell you a whole lot. And what if a student doesn't do multiple choice tests that well? What are you going to do? How how well are they? Because it's not adaptable to different learning styles. And I know people will say, well, tough. The kid needs to learn. Guess what? <laughs> We're in a different kind of society now. And multiple choice just doesn't do it. It's, because there are yeah. so many different there are so many different ways that students can exhibit and explain and utilize and it's very shallow. <laughs> exactly. And very, very pinpointy. It's just it's so focused and limited. I think limited is 
one of the best ways to say it. If you could, if you could master the the multiple choice test, you could rule the world. <laughs> <laughs> no, I Possibly, you just yeah. know you just know which bubble to pick. You know, right? You can, you can just pick every AP course in the world. I could just nail that AP master. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's interesting that uh, there's this one form of assessment, the multiple choice, that's really very, very, very favored for very many decades, if not almost a century plus now, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, and there's a strategy to it too. So, there's a right. way, to, way to skin that one. <laughs> if you well, there is questions. Well, well, there is, but not everybody that looks at those gets it. That's true. Too. And just to simplify everything, and I because I've taught students how to take those tests, but more along the lines of. You should know what what those questions are. You can talk to yourself quietly, even if it's inside your head, and have a discussion with yourself. That's true. And and in in preparing for those tests, you have done the same thing. So that's something else that that I was teaching, and that is how do you take tests? But that was, people, that's a skill that should be taught, and, I try and to also how to study that. for the tests. Yeah, and. Teachers tell me, no, I teach my kids all how to study for the test. They have to review their notes. They have to review. And it's like, no, that is one of the most inefficient ways of doing it. But we digress. Let's move on. Yeah. Let's. Okay. Now, if we go into a building, we want to also look at the student-teacher ratio. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that one. How many kids are in that? How many students are there in the building? How many teachers and how many students are going to be in each classroom. I would say optimum would be negative 15, would be a negative point up to 15. You mean like a one to 15 teacher ratio? At the most. Oh, wouldn't that be awesome? I love it. Well, here's why. Because especially, and I'm talking alternative ed, because this gives oh, yeah. you the chance to actually work with the students on an individual basis. You get to know the students. Yep. Now, mind you, I had 38 to 40 students in my English class. We built a community. It mm-hmm. wasn't easy, but we were able to do it. Yeah. It's a huge workload. But you have to be able to know how to do that. And for 90 minutes, how do you keep them going and how do you keep them motivated, etc.? Um but that doesn't work for everybody and it doesn't work for all students. Mm -hmm. And unless you have, and I'm not saying that I'm the perfect teacher, I'm just saying I'm used to working with students at a one-on-one level. So when I go into a big group and when I went to school, we had 38 to 42 students in a room um, Mm -hmm. because I was taught by the nuns and they had, well, they had great, they had great control over the classroom because 150 under one nun. (laughs) (laughs) that's because nobody wanted them to call our parents i know Um, one steel ruler and a nun you can rule the world no we didn't have rulers we we didn't have rulers no they got rid of the the it was actually in the public schools where they had the paddles oh i got paddled once yeah it happens and (laughs) it was also in the public school where i was picked up by my hair and head butted (laughs) 
Was he? Oh a yeah, teacher? by the teacher. And another time, the teacher had he he picked two of us up by our hair, and then he knocked our heads together. Oh, and head butted you guys too, kind of like WWF. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's awesome. He was right. Was he a PE teacher was he? He was our sixth grade teacher. Oh, he was a sixth grade teacher. Oh, okay, because PE yeah. teacher used to do stuff. Like no, he wasn't a PE teacher. He was my sixth grade teacher. <laughs> this was out in this was out in very rural Oregon, uh, but suburban would have to be principal. But there is so much more that you can deliver in a class of 15, because not only do you have the community, but let's say that I have you as a student and you're not so good on one thing. The students know each other well enough so I can partner you up with somebody or I can even spend some time with you and I can give you some other material so that we can continue to move on and we can do some remediation because not everybody is good at everything. And so we can find, and with a differentiated curriculum, we can always bring people up to the same point. And if other people aren't, then as a team, they can bring them up. And so it just helps. I was thinking about that 15. So if you have a school of 45 kids, alternative, like there's, let's say there's a core program, you have three teachers. You have case case management of fifteen kids per teacher, and mm-hmm. you have, but you don't have fifteen kids in each classroom because you have kids of different degrees of learning. Some kids are leaders; they have a way of like wandering around. You know those kids are; they have like leadership roles, or they're doing something independent, and so they're like they're not necessarily in a certain class because they're working on a certain project. And so you got like three or four kids or maybe maybe four or five that are roaming. Around. Those aren't necessarily they're the kids aides. that are roaming the hallways. No, the they're not hallways, style. but they're like helping a teacher or they're, they're not like being under direct instruction. They're more autonomous learning. Or you have kids working in groups. So you're not really direct instructing one, one to 15 in direct instruction. You rarely direct instruct. There you go. So what I'm trying to paint is this vision for our listeners is, that you, you may have one to 15 in the case management, three teachers, 45 students in the whole program. However, you never really have one to 15 in a classroom. You're sort of juggling groups, subjects, students in learning positions, students in, in leadership positions and teaching that way. And so one to 15, like you were saying, sometimes you remediate, sometimes you're working in groups, sometimes you're direct instructing. It's really quite manageable and really helpful and helps the kids get all the content at all the different levels. It's, right. it's, it's perfect. Yeah. We, rather than trying to present a class of 32 kids, here's the information all at once, 32 kids, here you go. And you're, you have far easier manipulation of dealing with permutations of what you want the students to do and other projects that maybe you might want them working on. You can break them up. It's far easier to supervise and take care of everything else that you need to do. Yeah, it's just, it it really starts, it flows. For lack of a better Mm -hmm. word, I think this is the best word, it flows. And and if you're a good teacher, you can juggle that and you get to know your students. And after all, that's what we're talking about, the students, the relationship. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, what's next on your list? Well, I was thinking, why can't students somehow rate? <laughs> and, you know, I mean, their satisfaction with the school itself. Um, 
Yeah. I, I so mean, you want student voice? There's not, yeah, we're always talking about rating What's schools. the student What's involvement? The student yeah, what would students say about school? Well, we're not talking about who's who's doing the rating. We're talking about how do we rate. I know. That's so, why I was saying who does the rating. I said, well, what about students? Why can't students rate schools? But uh, Well, they can. Yeah. They can. In fact, I used to, at the end of, when I was running, when I was running and overseeing the um, credit recovery yeah. and high school completion program, what I had the teachers do was there was a, there was an online survey for the students. Yeah. And so there were several questions about what was going on. And part of it had to do with the students talking about accessibility to their instructors, yeah. how they would rate those instructors, what they would want more from the instructors. How was the curriculum? Did they trust the curriculum? Was it accessible? Was it meaningful? Did it do anything for them? What were the hard parts? What were the parts that they really did not like? And what were the parts that they really did like? And what could we do to better serve other students in the near future? And we came back and we had some really great feedback mm -hmm. that came from those. We and did the school programs. We asked about the hours. Mm -hmm. hours. So we asked specifically questions about the hours and how they fit. Yeah. Well, I wanted to know about the teachers. I wanted to know because I couldn't be there in the classrooms because I was doing my own classes and so and running the other program. But I wanted to know whether or not the students were getting the help that they needed to get. And they felt as though they were being served. I think giving student voice empowers them. And it also gives you a much better picture as far as whether or not you're actually having an impact on the students or not. And if it's and if it's meaningful. Now, now if the curriculum wasn't working, because a lot of the students really did not like this online, this computer-generated, computer-based learning, um, as opposed yeah. to as opposed to what we had before, which was online packets that they were able to work in and it was set up and they could just print it out. They could work with it. I didn't care if they shared it with anybody because they still had to do a lot of the work and it was hyperlinked to different videos and other mm -hmm. resources that they could use. But I wanted to see what the differences were with that as well. So, Students need to be in charge of their learning. And if we don't ask them the questions and if we don't take their feedback seriously, then we're working in a vacuum and they're learning in a no man's land where people are just making decisions based on nothing. Well, that's what when we did our, um, our exit surveys. And we did it for data purposes for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, but I tried to frame the questions to kind of give them some control over it. Um, they were focused on graduation and they were really grateful. And it was kind of intensively focused. 
And mm-hmm. I was working with them, for the most part, one-on-one. And so they're very satisfied with getting their work done. We're talking about scheduling and content curriculum. Um, I did ask him a few questions. I said, you know, you can answer these on the candid side. I will not be answering these or reading these um, just to get the data about, you know, I wanted to, I said, what, what would you say about what I could improve? And I really do want your, you know, your candid opinion. I go, cause I want to improve, <laughs> you know, things like that. And it could be about anything. And I gave him some examples and things. Um, and I did, I know I did that because, um, I wanted their insights and I, I didn't want that for the customer friendly insight because I was trying to, to get the best approach I could for them and be as flexible as I could. They were always satisfied though, for the most part, because they found that program and mm-hmm. they were very flexible programs, You're not inside of school hours and things like that. Very adaptive, very flexible and very personalized. You can't ask for anything better than that. You know, exactly. I, that I graduated high school. Can you help me? Yes, I can help you and specifically you. <laughs> it's like, thank you. <laughs> so those were good programs. I was very proud to be working with those. Um, there should be more of those. And uh, I don't know if there are more of those. Um, I don't know. I should, I should really check that. At least not in the district that I came from. There should be more mm-hmm. school programs. Later afternoon, more flexibility. Right. Right. Well, we talked about that, about scheduling for students, too. So, okay, let's move on to quality of teachers. Yeah, that's a hard one. Um, Yeah, there's so many rating systems, but, you know, what makes a quality teacher, right? Sometimes you think you have a quality teacher, and then you realize that it was brightly colored trash. Yes. And I hate to use that term, but you cannot working in alternative ed, some people think it's a it's it's this is where they are going to pursue their some some people their activist agenda. That's true. Because these students are these students are tender, they're raw, and they can they feel that they can manipulate them to do what they want them to do. And so that's what they're going to do. Um, and there's no, there's no turning back and they just, they can't listen. I've seen people who go in with the best intentions who quit within a month because they couldn't handle it. That's and true. they said, how are you handling this? And it's sort of, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I just look, I look at every day as a fresh start for me and they need a fresh start every day as well. So that's how we're going to look at it. And we're going to go in. And this is when I was working with gangs and that teacher um, just all of a sudden, all these medical issues suddenly came up and the kids just found that absolutely disrespectful and disgusting. And so they they were furious because there were abandonment issues that happened when this teacher left. Um, I've worked with other teachers that you bring them in and you believe, because you look at their track record, that they know what they're doing and they have absolutely no clue what they're doing, really. Um, and sometimes you can't teach an old dog new tricks simply because they don't want to learn new tricks and they're not open. That's interesting. I, and a teacher. 
<laughs> is not open to learning. A teacher not open to learning. They're not open to learning on mm. delivery systems and how to approach students. That's interesting because that's contradictory to being a teacher. Well, if you're not willing to learn, then you're not really, you're missing. It's like golfing with only, I don't know, drivers. It's just, mm -hmm. you're missing a lot of clubs. <laughs> if you don't know, if you don't like learning about things or at least willing to learn about things and apply things. And then you're not really teaching. Well, for it's many teachers, for many teachers, they have a, it's almost an existential crisis because they've been doing it and they know what they're doing. And how dare you tell them how to do something? And it's not so much trying to tell them how to do something. It's trying to explain to them the different methods that we use and why and trying to make sure that they understand the 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 rationale behind it and just kind of tweak yeah. what they have i think i think that if you if if you want to control the environment that you're in if you want to control the people around you don't become mm -hmm. a teacher <laughs> if you want to work with within the environment you're in and you want to work with the, the people you're around and and be flexible and, and be a professional and expert yeah be a teacher but if you want to control it you're just you're trying to stand in front of a tornado i think and i think i've seen some teachers do that they see themselves as authoritarian figure not authoritative figure mm -hmm. and an authoritative figure knows when not to say something knows when to let people speak and then to add to it or to say nothing and to say that's the that's a good place to leave it. An authoritarian always wants to be in control, always likes to have the last word, always likes to remind the students they're the teacher. I've worked with those people and everybody in the room agrees they're insufferable. They're hard to work with and nobody learns very much in those classrooms. There was a teacher I worked with and they were, they had a, I guess they had a stellar reputation throughout the district. And it was a very weird relationship. And it always felt as though they were in competition with me. And I have no idea why, but they were talking about how, I think it was Love and Logic. Is that the name of the program? Yeah, it is. Love and Logic. And they oh. were very much all about love and logic, but they liked to talk about it. But then when it came down to it, there was a kid who had just, his sister was dying. He just found out. And he takes him into the other room and starts screaming at him, even though <laughs> okay. there's absolutely no empathy there. And it's just, it's just I mean, it was, it was absolutely astounding to me the lack of self-awareness for the mm. students. So I think empathy is something that you need to have. Yeah. Um, but how do yeah. you interview for empathy? I can hear people talking yeah, about exactly. things, but without actually seeing them in action and actually knowing what it is that they do, yeah. it's almost impossible to know what you're going to get. And districts and buildings are very, very against 
going through the 90 days and then jettisoning somebody because they're not working out. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, I've never seen or heard of anybody leaving or being let go after 90 days until they, unless they did something outrageous for nine months. Right. But they, I just know of another teacher that they kept who was not able to build relationships with students and they were transferred and they were put in charge of another program simply because of you have to find a if a position opens you have to place a teacher into that position rather than lay them off and they put them into this extremely delicate position and they were told you need to learn how to build a better relationship with these students <laughs> And their response was, I only have them for nine weeks. How am I supposed to build a relationship with them in nine weeks? Hmm. So well. <laughs> um, that and, you know, I was partially responsible for hiring this person, but I didn't have a whole lot of information we talked, I thought the deal was already made. And then I was called and they said, do you want this person to work for you? And I thought, I guess, okay. And so when I complained, I was told, you're the one who hired them. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, thanks. Well, having said so, what I said, I have no idea how to hire a, perf a, perf a perfect person. Um, right. It's very so difficult. It's extremely difficult. But I do know that what I said, if you're a person that likes to control your environment, don't go into teaching because you will run into at least four people right away who will go, not you, no, no, I'm in charge here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <And> kids, <laughs> first off, your students will have no maturity whatsoever when you deal with them. <laughs> yeah, it's hard stuff. So. Well, while we're here, while uh, we're here, you know what I'm gonna do? Do. I'm going to say that we are going to stop here for part one, and okay. next week we will have part two, yeah. and we will carry on. So, thank you for listening. Make sure you share and that you subscribe, and we will see you next week. <laughs>